Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am here today with Vienna Farron, who is a Leo. And mm-hmm. as you know, I we stan a Leo. Uh, and she is a licensed, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am so excited to talk to you. And I know our listeners are going to be so excited about what you have to share. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for being on Stars Like Us. It's lovely to meet you. So lovely to meet you too. Thanks for having me. Excited for excited for our chat here. So can you tell us a little bit about your story, how you came into this work and how you sort of became who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yes, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I obviously have a deep interest in relationships. Um, and you know, the, the story that ties to it is of course a personal one. Um, my parents, got separated when I was in first grade and then went through a nine year divorce, uh, which was the longest at the time, uh, in the state of New Jersey. I always get a good chuckle out of that with people as I sort of retell and reshare it. Um, what does that mean to have a nine year long divorce? Yeah. I, the, the nine year, year long divorce was, uh, a time period where there was a, just a ton of chaos and, conflict. And you can imagine, you know, two people who, you know, need to be right and are defending constantly. And, um, you know, it's, it's very much about, I have to imagine winning. And, um, you know, I was really young at that, at that point. And so, uh, very drawn out and just a lot of back and forth. And, um, you know, I can look at it now and obviously have some different perspective of it, but, as a kid going through it, I'm an only child also. And that feels like a big part of the story too, um, to be a little kid who is navigating this world without another little human being next to them, um, to sort of check, you know, what's going on and what's happening in our worlds right now. And, and so, you know, it developed lots of different parts of me, um, being an observer and being someone who experiences that, that kind of trauma, um, you know, obviously shapes lots of different parts and some of them are my greatest gifts. And, you know, some of them have been, some of the same gifts are also, if you would sort of flip the coin are also the areas that have that have needed my attention. And so, you know, again, like I said, when I was five years old, the separation happened and then, you know, through my, through my child and, you know, pre-teen and teen years, just navigating all of the, the ebbs and flows of the divorce was, you know, was, was a lot. And it definitely brought me to the work. I think from an unevolved place, it was a desire to make sure that something like that was never going to happen in my adult life. And I think, um, it was a fear-based place of, I can't get a divorce. And so I need to be able to understand all of the things that go into making healthy, functional relationships. Cause I never want to be in this position because I saw the harm and the hurt and the suffering that it caused, um, both, you know, individually for my parents and myself, and then also just the system, the evolved me, um, you know, obviously has a very different take on the work now at this point in my life. But, um, you know, it was very, it's, it's that fear of repeating the thing that you saw and having to experience it again, obviously from a different position, but you know, the fear of 
of repeating that and having to go through something like that. And yeah, I mean, there's obviously many layers and uh, lots of lots of parts of the story that have much more depth to it than that. But uh, that's that's the low level sort of story that got me into the field and really has created this deep interest in, you know, understanding where we come from, our programming, our conditioning, our stories, the family systems that we were a part of and still are a part of and how that comes with us into our lives, into our adult lives, into our adult relationships and, you know, how we sometimes reenact or, uh, just sort of swing the pendulum and oppose the things that we saw and experienced. So I, um, relate very much to your story, uh, on a personal level because I, my parents also divorced when I was in first grade. They changed my school at that same time, which was one of, a, one of the many mistakes that they made surrounding their separation um, and had a very, very, it wasn't nine years, but it was a very long and very nasty divorce that ended up having both of them go into bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm also their only child. Um, my father had, I have a half sister through my father's second marriage, which my half sister was born during the divorce process. So that was obviously a, you know, a, a pretty ugly component of it as well. So yes, I also very much connect on a personal level. And I similarly, I think felt very compelled to sort of understand why people are the way that they are, um, which is what drew me to the work that I do as an astrologer. There's this amazing archetype in astrology, um, which is attributed to this comet Chiron, which is the wounded healer. And the mythology surrounding it is basically this Titan ends up accidentally um, injecting himself with the same poison that he had designed to be an antidote. Um, and then his, he sort of, it becomes the poison and the wounds himself. And that Chiron is sort of the symbol of something that is so deeply painful in us, but then is something that we can also heal others through is really uh, very potent to me because so much of the work that I feel compelled to do um, as an adult, as an evolved person is, is really also healing so much of my inner child as well um, and being sort of the older sister to my very lost and very scared and very um, isolated uh, younger self who just it was experiencing just my entire world falling apart around me. So I think that, you know, the work that I think that drawing a personal connection to work is something that we really should always embrace. Um, because I do think, you know, it's we're not robots who are just doing work because we, that was our imposed job but finding sort of our purpose is going to come from the things that we've encountered in this lifetime yeah I, I as you're sharing that story I you know I think about um, in the therapy world we talk about you know the path of repetition 
and the path of opposition and the path of integration. And I can, I can hear, you know, I think this, this approach that so many of us take is we go through something that is traumatic or wounding or painful for us. And then we sort of go out into the world. And of course, when it's something that's painful, we don't want to create it. And, And so we attempt and we attempt and we attempt and without a deeper understanding of, of the self, um, and, and of others, uh, we often find ourselves, um, you know, essentially drinking the same poison, like you said, and, you know, these repetition cycles, um, these patterns that we find ourselves in, you know, as much as it might be so easy for us to see it intellectually, rationally, um, you know, we, we can look at a story and say, of course, I never want to go down this path. And yet how many times have we heard people say, and yet I keep finding myself in this, in this space over and over and over again. Sometimes it's this attempt at, you know, finding a way to heal something that is lingering with us from our past. And without this waking up, without this deeper sense of self um, and other, you know, a lot of times we either take a path of repetition, um, um, or we take this path of opposition where we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because neither one of the extremes is is the healing. And yet right. we sometimes need to access those areas in order to find that way to integrate. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we think about the path of repetition and we and and the path of opposition doesn't get as much coverage. Um, because sometimes when we're opposing something that is objectively very clear to us that that was painful and traumatizing. And so then we take a pivot. It seems objectively like the opposing factor is something that is healthier for us. You know, so for example, if I I had an alcoholic father um, and then I've chosen to, to never date anybody who, um, you know, who touches the stuff. Objectively, we might say, well, great, we have a sober relationship. There isn't something there. Like they've, she's like really moved away from repeating that pattern. And it's not to say that that can't be a healthy relationship. It's that we have to be aware of why it is we are doing what we are doing. Otherwise, there isn't an integration that is happening. And so sometimes we swing that pendulum all the way to the other side. So another example that maybe is a little bit more straightforward and easy is if we have a high conflict family system um, and then we swing to someone who is deeply conflict avoidant. And so again, objectively, Mm -hmm. that might seem like something that is healthy and good. There's less fighting, you know, we're getting along that it feels really nice with this person. But what can sometimes happen in that space is this deeply conflict avoidant human being in our lives is not someone who then is able to set boundaries or is able to bring their voice forward and share, you know, what it is that they need or what it is they want, or that they can bring something that's happening internally or share their inner world with us. Right. And so, you know, yes, I'm talking about about extremes here, but I think it's so important when we're doing this healing work to recognize when we are in a path of repetition or a path of opposition. And when I think about opposition, I'm like, I just want someone who is just never going to touch my wounds, you know? And so Mm -hmm. we often will find ourselves in that space. And our work is that we take this path of integration, which means, yeah, like sometimes people touch those wounds with us and sometimes it's, it's really hard. And our work is to, it's not that we should never be triggered, right? Our work is that the reality of it is, is that we will be triggered. There will be things that activate us and, and 
can we navigate this differently than before? You know, can we navigate it in such a way where there can be healing that happens through the process uh, individually or relationally? For those listeners who are not yet in a relationship and are looking to be in a relationship, do you have any techniques for finding a stable partner? I mean, I think that a lot of what we do is we seek for that stability outside of us. And I think probably where I would start is maybe looking internally with the self first to say, you know, a lot of times like, I really want this type of partner. And a lot of therapists will say, well, you know, do you embody that? You know, instead of thinking like looking for the perfect partner, right? Like, are you living and operating in such a way that feels grounded and healthy for you? And if you can recognize what feels stable, grounded, healthy for you, then you are probably going to be able to recognize that in another. You know, I think some of the work is in my opinion and in the work that I do is going back into our stories and going back into our family systems for me is, is the most important. It's where, it's where it all started and to understand, uh, our conditioning, our programming, the roles that we took on within those systems often are the roles that we will recreate in our adult romantic relationships. And so if you want a healthy relationship, you know, my greatest piece of advice is to focus heavily on self and relational awareness, right? It it means to wake up to the self. It means to explore and understand why we do what we do. It means that we have an understanding of our relationship with communication, our relationship with conflict, our relationship with sex and intimacy, et cetera, et cetera. And that we really look at how we've been affected by what the what the programming has been whether it's been from our family systems or society or past relationships you know obviously it's not all on the shoulders of a family only um, but to be able to look at those things because if we are operating from a, a sleeping place, right? Um, then we are not in the driver's seat of our own lives. And so, you know, wanting a stable relationship requires us to be awake and available to, you know, intimacy with our own selves. Yes, I, it's it's amazing um, the parallels between um, the just the language mm-hmm. that you're using um, in in your practice and the language of astrology, you know, we have, we, we literally have an aspect called oppositions mm-hmm. in astrology and it's, it's the same, but you know, the reverse and oppositions are considered a challenging aspect, but ultimately opposites are the same. You know, when we swing, I, whether you are just focusing on, you know, all or nothing, ultimately like the, that, um, those polarities are going to yield the same result. So it's about recognizing that just because you're doing the complete opposite thing doesn't mean that you are addressing the issue, right? It, 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 you might need to approach it from a different perspective. You know, Um, it's, it's such a good point. And I, I love that you're drawing the parallels and I, I think it's, it's, it is so cool, right. To think about just different language that can sometimes land for different people, but that they're still like sort of in the deep core truth of things, you know, that there is such a familiarity there. I remember this moment. It must've been, oh gosh, maybe like 10 or so years ago, maybe a little less. And I, 
I, I sort of remember my very severe judgment at the time of uh, the woman who would um, be uh, very emotionally needy. And what I mean by that is it was the woman who, um, who like needed to know where her partner was all of the time and needed to check their phone and needed the this and like all of these reassuring things and had like all of these needs, 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 needs. And I remember voicing that in, you know, a, a supervision at one point. And I remember the woman, the, the supervisor at the time, um, gosh, her response to me was so, so good. And it changed the course of things for me so dramatically. Um, and she said something along the lines of, uh, Vienna being a needless woman is just as quote unquote crazy as the Mm -hmm. judgment you have of these, you know, and I remember like sort of stopping in my tracks in that moment because, oh, being a needless woman was absolutely a huge part of my identity at that point. Like I was, I was this woman who was like, sure, whatever you, you know, like I'm good. I can handle myself. I'm good on my own. And obviously if we trace back to family system and experiences, right, I'm an only child who had to navigate so much of life on her own while her parents' system was crashing and burning around her. I didn't feel like I could bring anything forward because I was afraid that it would be too much for them. So even though my basic needs were met, right, I just, I dealt with everything on my own. I figured things out. I got good at the things that I needed to get good at. My resiliency was strong. Fast forward. And I am this needless woman who presents as the cool girl who doesn't need anything from a partner, who never has any issues, who's never affected by anything. Sure. Do whatever you want to do. You know, like that was who I was at that time. And this moment when she said that, and I'm obviously very mindful of the language of, of crazy, but I think it's, you know, it was, it was this moment where I could see my judgment that I was having, um, and, and that it was just put right back in my face and exactly what you're describing, that these polarities that are, they're not just jumping from one polarity to the other does not make you healthy, right? That path of integration. And I don't know if you have a different language um, word for that, but that path of integration, it was in that moment, I remember really just waking up and I obviously had to peel back a number of layers uh, to process what what had just been said to me. But I, I had this awakening in this moment of like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I am on the other side and that does not make me healthy in relationship at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I similarly, I think that, you know, I, uh, I actually had the very much the same judgments when Mm -hmm. I was younger about, because, you know, I didn't realize at the time that, you know, I, what I what I call it in very non astrology language is to date like a rich girl is what I just de- described it I used to describe it as which is I used to sort of with envy and judgment and like asp- a- admiration like you know to me it was just personified in this like Paris Hilton mm-hmm. uh, archetype of like I don't want that like whatever like I'll order order. 10 burgers like I actually never mind like I'll replace it with a salad you know like that idea of just like being able to say what you like there no not being any consequences for um standing up for yourself like I never had the space to advocate for myself you know there was 
all there were all of these other big personalities that were doing all of the work, you know, for taking up space. And I just I, I never had enough room to be angry. I never had enough room to say what I wanted. I never had enough room to make choices because I just wanted to keep things stable and I just wanted things to be, you know, I, I just wanted to go along with everything um, to because that was going to be the easiest solution. And then fast forward to finally, you know, in my late 20s, entering my first really healthy and stable relationship. And I am the nastiest bitch in my relationship with someone I feel safe with. Um, and now observing this in myself, because it wasn't that I didn't have opinions or judgments. It was the fact that I never felt safe enough to be angry. I never felt safe enough to express my frustrations. Um, and now with the person who is creating that safe space for me, that's where it's all coming out. So that's not a good thing either. You know, it's important to you don't want to then when you have the security to um you know, to to sort of flip that relationship on its head and to go from the person who was the victim, quote unquote, to then go to the person who's actually like causing the abuse because you are now in a different state of mind where you can do such. Um, I guess I should now just tie this all up by saying that I am in, my boyfriend and I are in couples therapy. We've been for two years and it's the best thing ever. Um, I could not recommend it more for couples. Um, we have gotten, you know, we are, have a very, we have a wonderful relationship. Um, and I, I, we're not in couples therapy because it's falling apart. We're in couples therapy because it's maintenance and it's our investment into making sure that it's solid. Um, would you, th do you th recommend couples therapy for just like relationships in general, whether or not they're having problems? Oh, absolutely. I think we have research and I don't know if it's been updated in the last many years, but the, the research that we've had is that couples generally come to couples therapy about four years too late. And so, wow. you know, it's on, on average. Right. And so, you know, I think a lot of times people have this idea that therapy has to be for when something is is, is bad, right? When something is wrong. And of course we use, we can use therapy when we're in a crisis. We can, we can utilize therapy when there is an area where we're having conflict in our relationship for sure. Um, and you know, if you're, you can also use therapy as a preventative tool, as a tool to learn more about yourself and your partner. I can promise you that that is, there is an endless pot there. It truly, like you will, you will not have enough time in this lifetime, um, to, mm -hmm. to, to find the end of intimacy with self and intimacy with other. And when I say that, what I mean by intimacy is the practice of going innermost with the self. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, so, so you can utilize therapy in so many different ways. And I, I mean, I'm a bit biased as a, as a couple therapist. Um, you know, I obviously see the power of the work. Um, I see the value of it. Of course, it has a lot to do with your relationship with your therapist, right? That connection, it really matters in order to do that deep dive into the work. But yes, it's not, it's not meant for, just for 
crises and it's not meant just for when you're right on the right on the edge. You know, this is a space where you come to learn and you come to explore and you come to wake up if you're if you're willing. In astrology, there's um, we move around. If you've ever seen a birth chart, it's it's a 360 wheel and the lower hemisphere of it is about self and sort of self-actualizing in the world. And then something really important happens in what's called the seventh house, also the descendant, basically at the um, at, at, uh, at what defines the top half as we are moving counterclockwise around this wheel. And that's when partnership becomes integrated into the chart. And that then defines the rest of it. So then, so houses one through six, the bottom of the wheel is all self. And then seven through 12 is self-relating to other. And that is so essential, I think, to recognize is that there's, we can dive very deeply into ourselves and look at, you know, um, our own emotional framework and the all of the fabric that has made us who we are but the activation of all of that is interpersonal you know it really comes into fruition when we bring partnership and that doesn't always have to be romantic partnership but when we're interacting in with other people we're going to see the way that we are uh the, we're going to see ourselves come to life you know we don't know how we behave until we have something to reflect off and bounce our ideas off and to be nice to or to not be nice to and then that becomes a mirror and allows us to go even deeper into our own journey um, but without having uh without there being an interpersonal component of it, there is a limit to how much of the, of just in, purely in speaking in astrology language, of how much of the chart we can access. We need other people to help us understand ourselves. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we say is, you know, if it's relationships that contributed to the to the wounding, it's relationships that need to be a part of the healing. And I agree that, we can go really far with ourselves. You know, it, it, there's, there is so much beautiful work that can happen self with self. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a number for us, you know, it's, it's hard to, to take a stab at, you know, how far we can go. But I, but I agree that we need relational relationships to continue to enrich and deepen that work. And, Yes, like you said, it does not always have to be a romantic relationships. Um, it can be friendship. It can be siblings. It can be you know, sometimes it might be in a repair in a parental unit. But there are many ways for us to deepen that that healing. But it, but there is space for other. You know. So what are some what are some practical tools that our listeners can use um, to improve? the relationships in their life. I, I don't know if the advice that you would offer would be different for uh, friendship as as opposed to romantic relationship, but um, open to all of it, really. I mean, we if we're not in a romantic relationship now, I'm assuming, you know, we will be eventually. And if we don't have friends now, I'm assuming that we will have friends down the line. So all applicable at different points. So yeah, what would you offer as just some really good pointers to keep in mind? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the the whole goal, in my opinion, is moving things out of our shadow and into the light. And oh my God, that is the same <laughs> with me. That is crazy. I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt, but this is just some Leo shit right now. I Leo love it. is it's solar energy, and that is literally verbatim what I encourage people to do as well, um, because in darkness. It, things fester you know but if you shine a light on it then it has to be you know yeah I love I love how aligned we are um it's that's great I yeah and and so when you say you know any relationship right it's like my my one of the best ways to improve the quality of our relationships is and maybe this prompt of like the thing that I've been avoiding telling you or sharing with you is and now that prompt might not be something that you say in front of that person right now you might actually just journal that and think about a specific person in your life and and think about what is it that's been in my shadow you know what is it that's been in the dark what is it that I have not been looking at um another and then obviously the follow up to that is, you know, is there a way for me to bring this forward? You know, and sometimes that's really hard. We might not trust the system enough to be able to bear what it is that we're about to share. Um, and so there's obviously many layers and there are nuances to to this work. It's not just a model that just fits all. But I think at least if we are identifying it for ourselves, then it's not just lurking in the shadows. Um, one of the other things that I think is important is to recognize where where we are reactive. And so if you can start to feel into your reactivity, it will point you to something important in your shadow too, right? Reactivity is a really beautiful gateway to let us know that something is up, that something needs our attention. Um, can you give us an example of that? Yeah, like if we get frustrated or irritated or angry or enraged about something or we snap at something, right? Those, those are a lot of the ways in which I think about reactivity. It lets us know, and, and that also might just be simply put like conflict or chaos in our lives. When I think about conflict, chaos, anger, frustration, irritation, I think about a flag being put into the sand and it's sort of waving in the wind a bit to just say there's something important here, right? If this is something that's getting activated, what I know already without even needing to search that space is that there is a story there worth understanding. We are not reactive just because, right? There is something familiar. Our system is being activated because it knows something and it wants our attention. The problem is a lot of times when we're in reactivity, we just go with it. We double down, <laughs> you know, we just keep, we, we really, we keep going with it instead of taking the pause and stepping back and becoming a curious observer of what's familiar here. What am I actually feeling like beneath anger, beneath conflict, you know, there's an emotional need or wound, um, and a need that's been missed a wound that's been triggered. There is something familiar that is happening in our systems and our system would really like it if we paused and slowed down to acknowledge and witness what's happening there. Because when we stay just in the anger, and I, I have no bad relationship with anger, I think anger can be very, very helpful. Um, but if we just stay in our reactivity and stay in a conflict sort of shame loop that doesn't really get us anywhere, then we're not, we're not learning something about ourselves and the other. If conflict is done well, in my opinion, we come out the other side learning something new about the self and new about the other. That's important because I think 
and listen, even if you're not in a relationship right now, if you just notice your own reactivity, again, that practice of going innermost with the self to say like, oh, hey self, you know, like what's up? Like what's happening there? What's familiar about this? What's going on internally? Like, how can I see you? And some of this is a little bit of that inner child work. Sometimes it can be a bit of the re the reparenting, but that inner self needing to feel like we as the adult, as the container is go, we're going to go inside to say, what's up in here? You know, like what's, what's happening and how can I see you and hear you and connect to you in a way where I am really listening to what, what is going on and so, you know, for me, those are a couple of ways in which we can look at uh, improving the quality of our yeah. relationship with anybody, self, friend, sibling, partner, whomever. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter, right? If we take some of those steps to think about what is it that I have avoided? What am I keeping in hiding? If I'm looking at my activation and reactivity, what is it actually trying to tell me and how can I start to listen to it? Those are such beautiful ways to deepen the work and to get um, more connected and intimate with the self and all the, all the other parts in our lives. Another question that I have for you is, um, and something that I'm sure you encounter quite often, um, and I know I do in my one-on-one -on -one sessions with my clients, are these cyclical relationships that um, are very hard for people to break out of. In astrology, you know, I'm, I think that all, you know, people are teachers for us, and that the, you know, our interaction with somebody is is very much there to. Uh, help provide insight. And I share with my clients that lesson might last an hour, it might last 15 minutes, it might last a year or three years, or it might last decades, it might be a lifetime. But it's important to know when that lesson you're no longer learning, right? And when we're now just starting to loop and that loop is a destructive loop. And the imagery that comes to mind is like roadkill getting stuck to a, a car tire, which is really graphic and ugly, but it's it really is the visual that comes to mind when I think of these like destructive cycles of relationships. Um, how do you uh, counsel people through those? And or what are some good ways to maybe because uh, I know it's so hard when you're in those so it's there's not a quick fix but what would you suggest as some ways of sort of gaining perspective or realigning with that yeah I mean I think you know most of the time when it gets to a point where it doesn't make sense to us anymore yeah so I can there's plenty of people who who sit in my office who can say like I know that this is dysfunctional for me I know that I can't walk away from it or I can't set the boundary or I keep going back for more. And I think a lot of times when we are at that point where we realize we're able to observe that this is not for me and yet I, I still can't leave or I, st I still don't mm -hmm. know what to do, um, that it really lets us know that we are you know, likely in a and a trauma bond and that we're having to do more trauma informed therapy. It's where we just can't outthink it, right? It's like the mind can't, like the mind gets it, but there's, there's just too much that's going on. Um, 
from the trauma space that makes it impossible for us to exit. So a lot of times it really will be a sort of like push and pull dynamic um, where where neither partner really feels safe or secure in the relationship. It can be like a love-hate dynamic where there is a nervous system activation. There's a lot of like emotional addiction cycles. Um, the chaos and fear of abandonment create the illusion of chemistry, sexual chemistry. Um, you know, it can feel like we're walking on eggshells when there's not any, like the open, honest communication needs about emotions, all of that, right? It's like, there's just a lot of risk. And so we, we want, it's almost like the person feels like our lifeline, you know? And so this idea of moving away, even though we might be able to reason it and, and rationalize it and understand it when we're away from it, when we're in it, when it's, when we say now it's time to leave, it can really feel like that lifeline is being cut. You're gasping for breath. And now I need to go back to this person. So there's, you're right. There is no simple fix to it because most of the time what's required is, you know, a trauma informed therapy. And sometimes that's more somatic work, work or, you know, hypnotherapy or EMDR, which deals with um, rapid eye movement and EMDR is in insane. I, it, the, I, I, amazingly insane for me, at least it has been one of the most effective mm -hmm. forms of therapy I have encountered. Yeah. And it really is, there's no one right way. Like obviously everyone um, responds differently to different things. And so I know that can feel overwhelming sometimes when you feel like you have to try out different modalities and see what really works for you. But if you do feel really stuck in something that your mind really gets, and I think what you were saying before about, you know, yes, people are dynamics are teaching us and holding mirrors up and there's something for us in, in each one, but what happens when it's no longer serving me and it's now time for me to, to go. And, um, and if we're stuck in that space, I think a lot of the times it's because we are maybe not addressing uh, the trauma that needs our attention in, in the way that it needs it. Right. Absolutely. I, I, Right. I, I would say that it is no longer really about the relationship at all. You know, like it's sort of the relationship becomes the vessel um, for which we are recreating um, scenarios either through as, you know, either through sort of uh, trying them out ourselves of what we experienced or trying to do the exact invert um, from what we experienced that scared us, you know, uh, that, that was a hard thing for us to cope with and deal with. And it's like, you know, we keep sort of trying to, at least from my vantage, what it's, what it looks like to me when I'm looking at somebody's chart, who's going through this is it's like, you're, you're trying to fix this thing that happened. And this thing is just never going to be fixed. And there's so much sorrow and grief and sadness in the fact that you, you know, had an extraordinarily narcissistic mother or that you grew up with an absent father or that your parents had a very oblivious divorce. Um, those are things that are, you know, are very sad and painful, but they're not going to be solved um, in a relationship of in, in any dynamic. You know, those things just have to sort of be and then we can 
when we allow them to just be sad and to mourn them, then that's actually the opportunity for uh, the grief to become fertilizer, you know, and for us to use that to grow and to create beautiful flowers and to and turn into these magnificent beings that can offer life and can, uh, you know, find amazing joy in the world. But until we just, if we keep trying to like turn this pile of shit into something else, it's just not going to happen. It's just shit, you know. <laughs> that's some of the. That's sort of some of the way that I see it as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's there's a lot of grief work that has to be done that I think sometimes we don't realize, you know, that there's a more of a uh, connection to trying to change something that is outside of our control and that what's within our control is is grieving, you know, it's feeling, it's, um, you know, witnessing ourselves. And if we're lucky, you know, maybe we have a partner or a friend who's able to witness us too. Um, and I, I do think that that can be so powerful just to have someone see us and hear us and truly connect to us that that can and that can be so, so, so powerful. I always say like, we don't need the original person to be the one to witness and to hear, you know, it like a lot of times it's just, will one person do it? So yes, I love what you're saying that this isn't about, you know, trying to change it into some beautiful pile of <laughs> something or other, but that this is like a lot to do with just grieving and feeling and that, doing that work creates the space, right? You yes. know, it creates the space to breathe into something else. Um, even if you might never get it fixed in the way you'd like it to be, if you, you might never get the mother you wanted, you might not, ne- you know, you might never get the, you know, sibling relationship that you dream of, you know, and, and finding the acceptance and creating the space to develop mm-hmm. a dynamic with someone else that maybe fits something like that. Yes, I, I, I just, I, I'm loving this conversation so much. I, it's so applicable. I have one more question for you, um, and it's on more of a macro level. Um, so something that I've been really ruminating on recently, and I've been doing a lot of writing about, is sort of, you know, we all, we all know Freud. We all know the, you know, the, these ideas of like, you know, daddy issues, right? And I've recently been thinking about, you know, with the patriarchy and society and, you know, just the systems in these bigger ways um, and thinking about just all of our collective trauma um, and and our collective daddy issues, you know, and, and really being like, holy fuck, like Trump is actually the symbol of so of all of our collective daddy issues he's like the dad who you know gives us attention when we're good and then pulls it all back and you know suffocates any love uh and then you know is brings us into that cycle of like attention and then starvation um and just the impact on a societal level of all you know, so many people having trauma. Is that something that you can speak to? <laughs> it's such a big fucking question. Is that something that you are? Is that is there something in your practice that also aligns with that? I suppose I guess is the best way to phrase it. 
<laughs> Can you please address the collective trauma issues of sure, our society? Sure. Um, I know you're like, in the minute we have left, uh, can you tackle this? I mean, I think, you know, some of the research, I don't know if you're familiar with epigenetics, um, right? And so like, that's something that comes up in the work, just this idea that, you know, trauma is passed down generation to generation and, um, you know, can be so deeply, deeply felt. Um, so one very quickly, like, yes, the collective and feeling into, I mean, I think that there's so much emotion around it, but feeling into how many of us have dealt with some version of trauma, whether it's little T trauma to big T trauma, right? Obviously there is a spectrum there, um, but that you know we're, we are carrying certain things. And again, whether it's something that we've experienced um, quite clearly in this lifetime or whether or not we're carrying something from someone who came before us or, you know, another lifetime or whatever you believe in, right? Like, yes, I believe that that is true. I have to find, I'm really positive that my husband wrote an article of exactly about what you're talking about with Trump. And I need to find it for you to see if it's, if, oh my goodness, please find and send. And like, as you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, Connor absolutely wrote about um, this like father archetype and, you know, why, um, like wh what he is embodying for so many. Oh my gosh, please send it because I've been, I I've really been like ruminating on this. And then obviously at the time of this recording, um, you know, the election is a few months away and thinking of like, what kind of daddy do, does the United States want right now, you know? And are we making a decision uh, as on a collective level from a place of trauma? And I, at this moment, believe that we are. <laughs> I think that we're all very, we're in a cycle of trauma with our political figureheads. Really fascinating, really. Well, I honestly... I, I'm this conversation has been so amazing and and really I mean speaking of mirrors it's like so cool to connect with someone who has shared some similar life experience and then is also trying to find a way of um, fusing all of this you know all just all of these things and unpacking and co connecting all the dots so thank you so much for being here and for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, where could we connect with you? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, on Instagram, I'm at mindful MFT, as in marriage family therapy. Um, if you're based in New York, um, I'm in Manhattan and, you know, see a full caseload, but also do lots of events and um, panels and workshops and all of those things. And so um, my website is uh, newyorkcouplescounseling.com. That's a fucking good domain you got there. <laughs> I know, I know. I crushed, I crushed that domain. I know. I was like, wait, nobody has this. That's incredible. And yeah, I mean, I, if anybody wants to deepen the work in the sense that the language that I use lands and, and makes sense, I have a six week course that's called get the love that you get the love you want. My husband and I lead it and we touch on self and relational awareness, conflict, boundaries, and sex and intimacy. And it's a really powerful course. And I'll send over the link for that for you. If you want to put that out to your, to your group. I would love to. Yes. I'm sure they would love to explore that. Thank you so much. Of course. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. 